All righty, if you got a Bible, get that baby open. We're in Genesis chapter 30. Also, uh, one more announcement. Uh, looks like we will be, Out West will be leading a team to Costa Rica to help the uh, safe house and the church build classrooms for those kids. And so if you're interested in that, we're going to have a meeting right after service. Uh, I'll probably be out in that hallway um, back over there uh, to be um, to be able to hear each other. And then, um, and then people have asked me about supporting the ministry there in Costa Rica. So if you, on your, uh, in your giving, if you just put down in the memo, Costa Rica, that's where you would want those funds to go to, then we will make sure that they get them. So with that, we're in, uh, we're in the chapter 30 of the book of Genesis. And last time we talked about a, uh, a messy family. And uh, uh, the deceiver, Jacob, had been deceived by his, his uncle Laban, and he did the old switcheroo, and not only did he end up with one wife, but uh, actually we're going to see not just two wives, but four. Now, I've, only, I've been married to one woman for 30-some years, and she's all I can handle. So I don't know what this guy's thinking, but I think he's lost his ever-living mind. But, but he got deceived, you know. He thought he was working for Rachel, and he, he gets, you know, he, no doubt he is plum giddy. I know how giddy I was on my wedding night. And, and of course, they didn't have any nightlights back then, and he slipped, her, slipped the other sister in on Jacob, and pretty soon he wakes up in the morning, and he's consummated a marriage to a woman he did not even know that she was going to be his wife. And because of the the... The whole idea of consummating something, uh, she is, in fact, married to Jacob, and he, uh, he was uh, a little upset. But Laban's excuse, do you remember, I think I mentioned last week that what goes around comes around. It's true. It, what goes around comes around, right? Uh, you, you reap what you sow, and, um, and so... Uh, Laban used the whole firstborn excuse why he deceived Jacob. I wonder if Jacob's mind went back to that little banter he had with his brother Esau for the bowl of beans, giving up his birthright. And, and so um, Proverbs 11, 18 and 19 says, the wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues, pursues evil pursues his own death. And so uh, now Leah has um, had children, right? She's wanted the affection of her husband. She's in competition with her beautiful, shapy, gorgeous sister. And, um, but, but, Leah is very fertile, right? She has Reuben. I've received a son. She's had Simeon. She's had Levi and Judah. And then she stopped bearing. But the mess continues. Uh, so now Jacob ends up with these four. Let's read, shall we? And uh, verse 1 of chapter 30. We better pray first. Father, thank you for your word that... Um, Lord, it shows us everything. It doesn't cover up anything of the... The, the messes that uh, humans make, Lord, that we're, 
we're born with this bent towards sinfulness and selfishness and all those things. And yet you've called us to something different. And so, Lord, as we see working in, in, in these people's lives and we realize, Lord, that in our own lives as well, it, it's in spite of humans that you get your will done. And so we, we praise you. We praise you for this, uh, this uh, real life story, Lord, that uh, probably could be a soap opera. But uh, we, just, we just thank you that you uh, truly continue to bring those messages out of these messes that we make. And we pray that you would teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Verse 1 of chapter 30 says, Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger aroused against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? And so she said, Here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees, and I also, that I also may have children by her. And then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, as wife. And Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Dan means judged. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, with great wrestling I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. And so, uh, competition competition for the man and these girls are just uh rachel is beside herself because she's she's barren she doesn't have um hasn't conceived and um she has a raging moment <laughs> have you ever had that wife raging moment for some reason us men can just get you guys riled up I got to tell my wife, she's going to kill me when I get home, but years ago, her and I, we'd been married. We hadn't been married very long. I think six or seven years. And, uh, we took this test. It was called the Taylor Johnson test. And for those of you who know my wife, she's pretty quiet and, um, she doesn't say much. I'm kind of out there and stick my foot in my mouth quite often. But we took this test. It was kind of a, you know, kind of a, kind of profiled you and let you know what you were. And uh, when my profile came back, I came back as a passive. Seriously, I was a passive. My wife was a hostile. <laughs> And I'm the only one that knows about that. <laughs> but she knows that I'm not always a passive, right? And, and so sometimes those things are kind of, kind of off. But, uh, but you have your moments. And Rachel is having a moment here where she is raging, telling uh, Jacob to give her children or she's going to die. And... Um, and that, that infertility, it is a, it's a, 
it's a very tough thing. It's a very touchy subject, and and I know it's it's important to be sensitive, especially for those who are struggling uh, to get uh, pregnant. But know that the Lord does control that, and I I cannot tell you how many times I've seen over the years. Um, people go through all kinds of medical procedures and, and trying to get pregnant. And um, the stepdad, the, the blind guy I talk about that was the ex-convict, right? He was convinced he was, he said, my mama was a whore and my daddy was a riverboat gambler. He was adopted out of Chicago as a little kid by very affluent parents in, in, in Hollywood. And, um, and he, he struggled with that, that, that whole thing. And, um, and so, but she couldn't get pregnant. So they, and then they adopted another son and then boom, she got pregnant. Those three boys were a year apart. All three of them were one year, one year, one year. And, um, God's in control of the womb. He really is. Now, um, in this culture, right? It was, it was thought as a divine disfavor if women were not allowed to have children and that they had a thought obviously that God uh, had something uh, to do about this. Now on the flip side of that was also thought that it was a divine favor uh, to have a quiver full. And the Bible talks about that, right? Psalm 127 verses one through five says, unless the Lord's build the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hands of a warrior. So are the children's of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. And so the Lord hadn't seemed to shine on Rachel at this point, and she is struggling. And I just, I just want to encourage you, if you're struggling, if there's, if there's somebody here today that's struggling with that and uh, with, with getting pregnant, man, um, come talk to me. Let's pray. Let's pray about it. We'll just take it before the Lord uh, because he can do things that uh, the docs can't do. And so, um, and he loves it. The Lord, Lord loves procreation. This, is, this whole thing is his idea. That's, well, actually my message today is, is the foundation of a nation. And it's all this man, Jacob, procreating. And his 12 sons that are, the foundation of the nation of Israel. And, and if they're the foundation of the nation of Israel, they're also foundational for the church. And we see them, these, these, these boys, as, as they're being born uh, throughout this chapter. So God is building the house of Jacob here. And uh, so far, Rachel hasn't been able to be a part of that. Her, her concubine, Bilhah, just bore Dan and um, Naphtali, the wrestler. And so she, uh, in frustration, kind of reverts back to Grandma Sarah's ways, right? Here, take, take her, Jacob. Okay. If you insist. Men are boneheads, right? I mean, it's, it's, 
And, and, and see, this was way before the law, right? The law of Moses. Now, the law of Moses had a concession in there that if a, if, if a woman was married and, and, and her husband died, that the brother was actually to come and have relations with her and raise up a, a seed, an offspring, to his dead brother. We see that. But before, uh, that wasn't the case. And, and these guys were doing um, a, a thing that had been uh, codified. Um, it was an ancient uh, law in the Near East um, by a guy by the name of Hammurabi. And um, you have heard, maybe some of you have heard of the Code of Hammurabi. And what is codified in the writings uh, was uh, that act, his writings actually governed the people of Persia from Persia to the Caspian Sea um, and from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean. And in the Code of Hammurabi, it was stated that if a wife who's married to a husband had a maid because she herself cannot bear children, if her maid bears children on, on her behalf, they will become the property of the wife. It was standard operating procedure, and it was the very law that Abraham and Sarah lived by. Uh, you remember the story with Hagar, obviously. And so it was just what uh, people did. And it was, um, you could say, everybody's doing it. And uh, not only is everybody in the world doing it, but uh, even they were doing it in their own family there. And so they, they followed suit. Rachel followed suit. And... Um, and then it kind of caught on uh, as we get through this. But just because the world does it, don't, don't mean that we have to do it, right? I mean, how many teenagers have you heard, teenagers have you heard make that excuse, right? Well, everybody's doing it. Everybody has a phone when they're like 11. Not if you're wise, they don't, right? But Paul addresses this in Romans, right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so she says here, take Bilhah. And um, she must be pretty fond of the idea because then he does it again. You know, realize there's, there's some time lapse here. You know, 18 months worth of pregnancy and... Um, and she has, she has two babies. And so this would uh, no doubt take things to a whole new level emotionally. All these, these three women now that he's having relations with and, and babies from two of them. Um, I couldn't imagine. You know, because it's interesting when when Paul talks about the, the spiritual battle going on in, in Ephesians, you know, so much of that is husband-wife and parent-children relationships, the spiritual battle. I bet this was, a, this was a spiritual battle on steroids in this guy's house, right? Having different tents and different women, and I don't know if they was flipping a coin or, right, drawing straws or how it was all working, but it, it it didn't look like it, it doesn't look like it would be very fun. Jacob was maybe the only one having fun. I don't know, but the poor gals are like caught in this, this uh, turmoil. 
Think about Bilhah. Maybe she didn't even like the guy. She goes, I'm just Rachel's handmaid. Why, why do I got to do this? But, but she did it. You know, why do I have to bear children to this man? Well, culturally, they realized that there was things that which was much more important than themselves. Right? Procreation was very important in this culture because especially when it comes to this guy, because the Messiah is going to come from him. And, and many believe that Eve thought that she would be the one that would be bear the seed of the woman when God tells him, uh, her, her and Satan and Adam about the, the, the crushing of the snake's head right, and the bruising of the seed of the woman's heel and all that. They knew that the Messiah had to come. And many of the, the Jewish and Hebrew women, um, that's why they thought it was a curse that they couldn't have because if they could bear children, there was a chance that they could be the one that would bear the Messiah, that would come and save all of mankind. And I think... That thought is a very good thought in that this life, there is more important things than our own selves in this life. Isn't that what Jesus calls us to, is to a life of selflessness? I saw this video a couple days ago. My, my cousin had posted it. And so all I've got is the, is the audio, but just listen, listen to this, this audio about selflessness. And thing I ever heard in my life. He said, those who decide to try and keep their life will lose it. But he said, those who decide to give up their life or lose their life for my sake will gain it. Jesus is trying to show you what it looks like to become selfless. You become selfless by dying to yourself. If you're on a team, you might need to remind yourself every so freaking often that you are not that important. The way you feel is not that important. If somebody says something to you that hurts your freaking feelings you're not that important die to yourself and you will gain your life you know jesus christ i say amen you die to yourself that's what a believer in the lord jesus christ is called to right all this stuff that happens in our life it is not about us it's not about us at all we are, we are that hand of water or hand uh, in a water, a bucket of water that you pull out and, and that really shows you how significant you are in the big picture when you see how small we are on this earth, how small this earth is in, in the galaxy and we are a speck on a speck on a speck. The significance of our life is nil unless God chooses to do something with us. And he can't do anything with us until self is dead. And, um, and so as, as I look at these people and the struggles that they're in, are they selfish? Yes, they're selfish. But they also have a focus that is a little bit more selfless than what we experience in our lives today. 
Americans are the most selfish human beings on the face of the earth. And second to Americans is American Christians. And so learning how to lay down our lives and to give up our lives and, and um, give of ourselves is, it is a hard thing. It's the hardest thing about the Christian life because I want to take care of old Scotty, right? I, I want Scotty to be fat, dumb, and happy. You know, I, I want him to, uh, to be comfortable. And, um, and, and that's pretty opposed to what God has called me to. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like Naphtali. I'm, I'm in this wrestling match. I was so encouraged. So um, here in January, they started a church service in the Capitol building in Boise. And um, it's in the Lincoln Room there in, in, um, in the Capitol and uh, I, I was blessed with the opportunity to go speak there on Tuesday night. And we got there a little early, so they give us a little tour. And we're walking around with these uh, two aides, or I don't even know what you call them, a page or whatever you call them. But they're young people that are in the Capitol, maybe assisting some of the politicians, the senators, and the representatives. And they're, they're walking us through the Capitol. And I, so I, I start asking them their names and where they're from. And... and um, Come to find out, they're great-granddaughters of a guy I used to rodeo with. Now, you know you're getting old. <laughs> when, it, when, when, when your, uh, uh, your friend is a great-grandpa to a couple of girls. And they were, in, they were 19, I think, and 22. And, uh, and I'm thinking, this is pretty cool. Young people. And I know that he, he uh, gravitated towards the Lord. I know when I was doing rodeo ministry, I used to talk to him quite often, and, and he was a believer. And, um, and to see these, these kids, and so I didn't really think much of it, but when we went to the church service a few hours later, well, they showed up. And this church service consisted of, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, and then, you know, 50, 60, 70-year-olds. I'm just going, this is so cool. And as the Christian influence there, as we were walking through the Capitol, this gal that was giving us the tour, she, uh, she stopped. I prayed with, I think, two senators and two representatives just in the hallway. And, um, and then when, right before we, the church service started, I got introduced to a senator from the Boise area. 30, he's 34 years old. He's an ex-Marine. His dad was a pastor. His brother's a pastor. And he's the one that uh, got the bill presented the bill, got it signed by Governor Little to stop the vaccine mandates. And, and this kid is a fireball. His name's Ben Adams. If you think of Ben Adams, pr please pray for him. He's in the fray of it all, but he has a, he has a godly foundation in his life. Uh, he has the Marine Corps um, in, in his history, and so uh, he's not afraid to get in a scrap. And uh, I was just, I was so encouraged by these young people. It's, it's, it's like, okay, there is some hope, right? Uh, there's, there's hope that, that God is doing a work and, and, and that, that we, old and young alike, are God's vehicle. God chooses to use us. God does not need us. God does not need these people in this mess to establish a nation. He could do it a different way. 
but he chooses to bring a nation out of what seems to be total, absolute chaos. That's how God works. <laughs> Aren't you glad? Because <laughs> when I look in the mirror sometimes, I see total, absolute chaos, right? And in fact, sometimes that's how I operate best, in just total chaos. And I can be relaxed in that situation simply because God is sovereign. And he's going to do what he's going to do. So what we have to be is we have to be a willing participant. God does not, uh, God's not going to ask you for your permission to use your life. He's going to use your life whether you want him to or not. Why not be a willing participant and experience all the benefits, right? Of, of, of letting him use your life. And, um, you have to be willing. As I was looking at Ben, and I was talking to Ben, I'm thinking, you're 34 years old. Your wife knows what you're up against. You've got young kids. This takes a lot of his time. What a sacrifice he's making. And I just thought, right on, dude. Right on. You're going to be on my prayer list. And so, um, just very exciting. God's doing a work there. The Spirit of the Lord is moving there uh, in, in Idaho's capital. Um, I... I encourage you to pray for your legislators. Just look up, you can look up um, Idaho's legislators and then look up your district, the district you're in. If you don't know what district you're in, there's a district map. You can look at what map you're on and, um, and, and pray for them. Pray that God does a work. They're in a position of power, these people. And so um, little did these guys know that God was raising up a very powerful nation from them. Verse 9 says, Then Leah, or Leah is how they pronounce it, saw that she had stopped bearing. She took Zilpah, her handmaid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. And then Leah said, A troop comes. So he called, she called his name Gad. And Leah Maid servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. And so she called his name Asher. And then Reuben went in in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to, to his mother and brought them to his mother Leah, and then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your mandrakes. But she said to her, it is a small matter that you have taken away my husband. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. And when Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes, and he lay with her that night. Wow. Now, is that manipulation or, you know, that's just outright, that's, that's some wild stuff. So people ask, well, what are mandrakes? Uh, well, mandrakes are, uh, it's actually a root plant. Uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, it's called the love apple. <coughs> Excuse me. They were thought to increase fertility and also increase um, sexual desire and um, still among some of the people they think they are they're an aphrodisiac 
And Rachel thinks, hey, let's do a little trading here. Got some mandrakes. They'd fit right in in Idaho. Do a little horse trading. Do you some trading? What do you got to trade? Because Leah had the mandrake, she knew Jacob would have relations with her, believing there was a greater likelihood that she would become pregnant. And so, but Rachel hasn't conceived yet either, so she's got her eye on those mandrakes, thinking they might make her fertile. Hmm. I mean, really, this would, this would put General Hospital to shame. Right? Wouldn't it though? Or as the world turns, you know, I mean. So they do some trade and, uh, and, and the bad thing is, is it almost, uh, you know, it almost appears uh, like, like it worked because she lays with Jacob that night, you know, uh, with payment of, of the mandrakes and Verse 17 says, and God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. And so she called his name Issachar. And then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. And so she called his name Zebulun. And after she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. And so here she gets three more babies. And uh, the mandrakes had nothing to do with it, right? We know that God opens the womb. And um, so this is... Um, this is quite a deal. So she has a, a break in her conception. And, and this is all superstition, this stuff. It's just like, it's like today. It's like the church today. Is it that obvious? It's, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be without here in a second. Thank Oh, wow. Perfect. And so she's, this is all superstitious. You know, we don't see anywhere where, where Leah is crying out to the Lord. And yet, God's faithful. You know, God sometimes gives you the desires of your heart just to let you see that you desired the wrong thing. Right? You desired the wrong thing. Paul said something interesting. He says, it's the love of Christ that constrains me. And that's something that I think that everyone who would name the name of Jesus has to ask themselves, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough for you? Is his love enough for you? Because here they're thinking children are gonna make them happy. They think relationship will make them happy. Uh, you know, they're, they're thinking all these things and they're, they're going about it in, in ways that are culturally acceptable, but not according to God's word. And, and really not in a, in a way of faith. I was sitting with a young couple here a while back and, and they both had been in the world a lot and, and, and got saved and came into the church and they're, they're both looking at each other as some of the people as they talk in church and what they're into, into, into horoscopes and yoga and all these things. And they were into all those things in the world and they're going, what are you doing? That has no place here. 
it's a different spirit, right? You're subjecting yourself to this, this different spirit with your little superstitions or your little things that you think are, 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 you know, helpful. <laughs> and yet they're not, they're lies. They're lies of the enemy. And so these guys were all caught up in all this cultural stuff and, and um, not just simply walking by faith. Verse 22 says, Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. And so here, Rachel, finally, finally, she's vindicated. She's, she's uh, set free from this so-called curse as she conceives and gives birth to Joseph and then prophesies about her, her other son that will come, the son of my right hand. Well, she tries to name him son of my sorrow, but he's, uh, she prophesies of Benjamin. And she knows, and, and Rachel is a, is a very interesting, her name means you. And what, what herder or what, what stockman would have a you that couldn't bear? And yet, we see Rachel mentioned in the New Testament. You remember when Herod had all the babies killed, trying to get rid of Jesus. And it says, and Rachel refusing to be comforted because she was weeping for her children because they were no more. And um, I don't know what all that means, but I know that uh, she's very special. This, this son of hers is, is really special. About the next 11 chapters of the book of Genesis is given to this boy, uh, Joseph, that she bears. But he goes on, I'm gonna finish the chapter I know it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little bit of a reading. So if, I, if, I, if, if it gets so uh, low that you can't hear my voice, I'm going to pray and say amen. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go for you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, please stay if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. And then he said, name me your wages and I will give it. So Jacob said to him, you know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me for what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount, and the Lord has blessed you since my coming, and now and when shall I also provide for my own house? And so he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats and these shall be my wages for my righteousness will answer for me in time to come and when he and when he and when the subject of my wages comes before you every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me and Laban said oh 
that it were according to your word. So he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some white in it and all the brown ones among the lambs and gave them into the hand of his sons. And then he put three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob fed and the rest of Laban's flock. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and and chestnut trees peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rods and the rods which he had peeled he set before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink so that they should conceive. And when they came to drink, so the flocks conceived before the rods and the flocks brought forth streaks speckled and spotted. Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaked and all the brown in the flock of Laban. But he put his flocks by, by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass whenever the stronger livestock conceived that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters and that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feeble were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large, large flocks and female servants, female and male servants and camels and donkeys. So he institutes this breeding program um, outside of his tents um, among the animals, right? That he was stronger. Now, it's funny when you, because I, I remember reading this, I thought, this is one of the first breeding programs. And I was just talking uh, this morning to somebody about their goat breeding program. Interesting stuff. But, um, but he says, no, I, I won't take any wage from you. Just let me have the speckled and the spotted and the brown ones. I'll take those. And I have to believe this is an act of faith. He knew that God was going to bless him that pretty soon there would be more speckled spotted and brown ones than uh, just your regular uh, white colored sheep and goats. And so he's, he's getting blessed here and he's doing it in a pretty good way other than his conniving is not totally uh, behind him because of what he does with these, they don't know what he's doing with these popular things where he's peeling the bark and then putting it by the water troughs. A lot of different speculation some think this too is superstition and that that um he was he he believed that maybe um they would breed better or whatever but actually there's been a study uh recently uh, about this it was it, it was interesting it's it's actually poplar poplar bark that they're feeding now to livestock and it says some studies have confirmed that pop Poplar bark can be used uh, as an additive in vitamins to promote weight gain in livestock and poultry. It all ho also enhances spleen function and leads to a very strong immune system. And so this is several thousand years ago, right? And uh, I thought that was interesting that these studies that they've done just recently, and maybe when they were drinking, it would cause them to chew on the bark or whatever, but we know that God increased him. And God's the one that gives the increase, right? You and I can do what we want. We can plant, we can water, right? We can cultivate, we can do all kinds of things. God gives the increase. He's gonna give the increase in your life. He's gonna give the increase in your children's life. and. You just need to do what's right. You and I just need to do what's right. 
he became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. God has a foundation for his nation of Israel, right? 11 sons, one more is going to be born. But God is building his kingdom right now. And he desires to use you and I. That Peter said, we, we, we're like these stones. We're, we're built up this, this spiritual house. God was going to bless Jacob no matter what. Uh, simply because of his promises to Abraham and Isaac. And, and, and that blessing transfers to us simply because we are in Christ Jesus, you and I. Are you blessed? Is your life blessed? I shared at the Capitol the other night. I've had people come up to me and say, you know, Scotty, what, if this Jesus thing ain't real, you get to the end of your life, man. Come on, tell me. Isn't that going to be a bummer? I'm thinking, let's see. I've been walking with Jesus for 36 years. If he's a mythical character, uh, he had enough influence on me to change my life. So, so he's a myth. Okay. I die. That's it. Lights out. Life's over. If I die and there is no heaven and there is no Lord to stand before that says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the Lord. I like to tell those people, I've lost nothing. I've lost nothing. I've gained a lot. My wife will still sleep with me in the same bed. She smiles at me. We share a cup of coffee. We talk. Okay, we do other things too, but who doesn't, right? My kids still come home because of this whole Jesus thing that's a myth. So if I die and it's not real, I've lost nothing. But if you die and it's real, you've lost everything. There's no chance. This is it. This is your only chance. So because of God's promises, he's working through all this mess in this process in spite, in spite of Laban and Leah and Rachel and Bilhah and Zilpah and Jacob. The whole world is going to be blessed through this family. <laughs> and that it just looks like an absolute total disaster. So listen, folks, we're in good company. Amen. I want to close with the scripture here. It's just full of hope and my voice is about gone, but it's found in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. It says, how may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, that through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will. Working in you, God is working in us just like he was working in them. What is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a beautiful mess. Lord, it really is. And uh, some of us find us in those messes. And, and the crazy thing is, is I know that you're truly using everything together for good those, for those who love you, Lord. And, and that's what it is. It's, uh, it's predicated upon our love for you. 
that you'll use it for good. And so I just, everyone in this room today, Lord, I pray that they would find themselves loving you and with all their hearts, their souls, their minds, and their strength. And it's your great call to us, that great first wonderful commandment to love you. And so, Lord, would you do that? And in, in doing so, Lord, we know that trouble will come and that we'll, we'll struggle in this life. And, uh, um, Lord, we'll stumble at times, and yet you're, you're sovereign over us. So we yield to you. We humble ourselves knowing that you're able to lift us up. And you're able to complete that work that you've begun in each person in this room. And if we're in, as we're in our word of prayer today, if you have not come to that place where you surrendered to Jesus, can I just encourage you to do so? Just say, oh, Lord, I need you. Come into my life. Direct my steps. Fan that flame for my love for you. May I truly have a great understanding of the great sacrifice that you gave for us, that our love would be truly just on fire. So we, we ask that you would do that in those who need that today. And Lord, we just, um, we surrender this week to you, Lord. Don't know uh, what it holds, but we know that you hold it in your hand. So uh, have your way with us as we seek you and uh, knowing that you're gonna work as we uh, yield our hearts and minds to you in Jesus' name, amen.